The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I am your host, Pete Paul, joined as always by Chad Young. Chad, we have baseball back. Yes, yeah, some real stuff to respond to and react to. We get to, you know, we're, we're recording this on Sunday morning, so there have been like two, maybe three games for some teams, and so <laughs> any reaction is an overreaction, but... I don't care. I'm excited. I like to overreact. It's more fun to overreact to this stuff than to be like, oh, it's only been two days. Yeah. Like, what are we supposed to do? We have a podcast to do. We can't just sit here and tell you to ignore everything because it's only been two games. So if we do come across as overreacting, you know, we apologize, but we're providing some analysis. And Chad, honestly, I think at least for some pitchers, there's some stuff we can dive into. Um, First of all, uh, let's talk about some injuries because I think that's one of the first things we got to get used to is our, if we got a guy who's hurt here in the first week, how do we replace them? Who do we replace them with? Now, fortunately, there have not been a lot of injuries since the season started. They're all in the same team. It feels like the White Sox have been pummeled, Chad, since the last time we recorded. Yeah, just snake bitten. It's been it's been super unfortunate for them. It really has, especially in the starting pitching department where, I mean, I love Dylan Cease, but I feel like Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito, their aces, both of them are shelved. Giolito, it's an abdomen. Lynn, it's a knee. And Yohan Moncada, their third baseman, this was right before the season started, but he had an oblique injury. And manager Tony LaRusso thinks it's only going to be three weeks, but I don't know, obliques, and I don't like that for hitters. I don't like that for anybody. So how are you replacing these guys, Chad? What's your mindset when you get an injury this early in the season? So it depends a lot on the position. They, you know, they also had AJ Pollock go down yesterday with a, a hamstring issue, so they're they're down him as well. Oh my um, god, Jesus! Yeah, what? yeah. This he uh, he was he was. It's really it was. You know, I, I I'm I'm now doing the. I'll, I'll plug my own work. I'm now doing the first pitch podcast that that Pitchless puts out every morning. I'm doing it on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday mornings, and so I'm going through all the news and notes, and so I got lots of info, uh, which is which is real nice. But going through the notes there, they were planning to put him on the paternity leave list today. And so he was going to miss a couple days anyways. And then, and there's also like, oh, Andrew Vaughn's going to get more playing time. This will be good for him. And then he, Pollock pulled up with the hammy issue. And as you know, with Pollock, he says it's, you know, he says it's nothing, but who, who knows? Um, yeah, but how, how I replace these guys, I mean, it varies by the player. With, with my starting pitching, Guys like Lynn or Giolito, at this point, I'm not really replacing them, right? I mean, I you draft pitching knowing no nobody drafts like no one's like I'm going to need five starting pitchers this year, so I've drafted five starting pitchers and like they're just going to be healthy and good for 200 innings each. Like we all drafted so that we had had more starting pitching than we needed because you knew this was going to happen. I don't worry about replacing those innings this early at all. Really, the only case where that would change is like. You know, a guy gets a guy gets injured and needs Tommy John. He's going to miss the year. Then I have to worry about that. Right now, I'm just sort of like, okay, you know, I can't replace a guy like Lynn or Giolito anyways. It's not like there's someone on the wire I was going to go get and be like, yes, now I've got this guy instead. I am, you know, hopefully you're in leagues that have IL spots. If you are, then you can go out. You can try to grab a guy like Tyler McGill who might be available in your league and who looked 
really good in that first start. You might be able to get, grab a guy like Kyle Gibson, but I'm grabbing those guys even in leagues where I didn't lose pitching injuries, right? So it's it's not changing my strategy much. I, I think I'm in a similar spot with a guy like Pollock. I didn't really draft Pollock anywhere to be my number one outfielder. And again, I, I drafted with more depth at outfield than I needed, especially because so many like middle infielders and corner infielders have outfield eligibility. So I'm sort of okay there. Again, going to put him on the IL, going to look at what bats are out there. The harder one is a guy like a third baseman, especially in leagues where you aren't playing a corner infielder. And so you haven't, you, you may not have another third baseman on your roster. In those cases, you just got to go out and see, first of all, you know, is there someone on your roster who can do it? But looking out there, unfortunately for the White Sox, there isn't necessarily a natural replacement there. I'm like, I'm not going out to add someone like Jake Berger, who's gotten some time at third base there. Josh Harrison may be available in your leagues. And I think this sort of locks him into the lineup a little bit more than he otherwise would have been. Although I think he's still probably, probably the the starting second baseman there on a regular basis. Looking, Just look at some of my leagues and who's free, who are free agents. Like, Yandy Diaz is a free agent. He is leading off most of the time in Tampa. I, I like that spot in the lineup, if nothing else. Patrick Wisdom is a free agent. He'll at least get you some cheap power. Um, he's going to hurt you a lot of other places, so you got to deal with that. But you're, you're just sort of poking around and looking at who's available in your leagues. I am looking here at like, you're not going to get a well-rounded five-tool guy. So start to figure out who do you need that or sorry start to figure out what stats you need for your team so you can start to figure out things like okay i know my team is a little weak on speed and so maybe there's a third baseman or a middle infielder who qualifies at third base who might steal a handful of bags while Moncada's on the shelf maybe i need power so i do go grab wisdom um, i'd also recommend day late for this so hopefully you already got it but on sundays uh, Kevin Hastings and Adam Howe have the On the Wire podcast where they go through who's available for fab in leagues. And that is a great source. Even if you're not in a fab league, it's just a great source of guys who are sort of readily available that you should be thinking about picking up. Yeah, totally. I think that's that's solid analysis and you're spot on, right? I mean, you shouldn't already be looking like, oh man, I can't believe a pitcher got hurt. Now I have to replace them. That should have been something that you factored into your draft. If you are looking to fill those innings in the short term anyway, um, at least for those of you in like 12 team leagues, <clears throat> you know, I'm looking on ESPN pitchers rostered in less than 70% of leagues and ESPN did have kind of wonky rankings for a while. So I'm not sure how much this holds up from platform to platform, but there are definitely some names that interest me. Um, Zach Plesak certainly looked interesting the other day, you know, Chad, before the, uh, we started the podcast, we were talking about Kyle Gibson, his cutter usage was way up and it resulted in a terrific outing seven innings 10 strikeouts i don't know how much we're gonna be able to lean on the strikeouts but you definitely get the volume hunter green and nick lodolo uh, are both going to be making starts for the reds green made the team outright and after the injuries that the reds have suffered particularly to luis castillo it looks like nick lodolo is going to start next week i am not out on jesus lozardo he's one other target and finally carlos carrasco gets the nationals today and i'm curious to see how he looks because next week he gets to face the Diamondbacks. So if you are in a league where those names are available, if you need starts in the short term, I would target those guys. But it's not just aces that have been hurt, Chad. Uh, a lot of aces have underperformed. Uh, just these names. Imagine if your pitching staff in a three-team league was Sandy Alcantara, Max Freed, Brandon Woodruff, Jose Barrios, Kevin Gosman, Aaron Nola, Frankie Montas, Corbin Burns. You're thinking... This is just amazing pitching. And I said a three-team league, obviously facetiously, because that's the only place you'd be able to get all those names. They've all underperformed. I have no concerns about any of those names in particular. This is not a victory lap because I still think he's going to be exactly what we expected him to be. I just thought Jose Bar Barrios was going too early in drafts. And so seeing that outing, it just didn't really affect me that much. With that said, as you know, I was heavily in on Alcantara and he had five walks, which was definitely eye-opening. Some of those names looked good it was just the final line did not um any of those names that i threw out there and i can repeat them if you need to hear them again concern you or do you have any thoughts on them it's tough to really say we're concerned at this point but uh they didn't perform well yeah i i don't think i'm really concerned about any of them i think one of the things that stood out to me in, in the prep i was doing for the first pitch podcast was almost universally starting pitcher velocity was down 
Um, and, and I think this is a result of the shorter spring training. And, you know, it's probably impacted different teams differently, but I was watching the the Guardians game on Friday, their, their opener with the Royals. Shane Bieber was pitching. Bieber's velocity was way down. Um, you know, he, he pitched well, but his velocity was way down. But they talked a lot on that broadcast about the fact that the that that Terry Francona and the, the coaching staff had said, like their pitchers aren't really ready yet. And so Bieber was limited. And actually all of their pitchers this weekend are limited to 70 pitches that they were, they piggybacked Bieber and Tristan McKenzie on Friday, just because they wanted to get McKenzie some extended work in. And so like at least Cleveland, like they're almost treating this like spring training still. And I think that's probably true for a lot of these pitchers. And so I think we're going to have to be, you know, we joked at the beginning about like, oh, if we're not overreacting, what's the point? Like, you, you, this is fun. Let's let's jump in. But like, yes, it is fun to overreact. Yes, it is fun to like get into the data and start to see what's there, even if it's limited samples. But we're going to have to wait maybe even longer than normal with starting pitchers this year to just see how do they settle in? Does that velocity come back? Does the spin rate change? There's just a lot I think we're we're not going to know for maybe three or four starts that we even used to know after one or two, because I think a lot of pitchers, this is more like like their second start will be more like their final spring training start and their third start will be more like their first regular season start. We're just gonna have to wait for that. It's a great point. And, you know, we were you brought up the weather in Shane Bieber's start. I heard it was a high of 49 degrees. Yeah, so it's, taking... it snowed at one point. Like it was, uh, it was a whole thing. So Tristan how... McKenzie, when he came in out of the bullpen, apparently told media after the game that he couldn't feel his extremities, and so, and like if you've seen Tristan McKenzie, this guy, like he has, He's there's no dude. fat on his body. He is so <laughs> skinny. There is no doubt in my mind that if the weather is below, like, like anything below, like body temperature, he probably starts to get cold because there's no insulation there. Um, but he was saying that he was just like. He couldn't feel anything. So he was just like sort of throwing and hoping almost it sounded like. And that's, uh, yeah, you, there's just, there's so many other factors right now. The the couple of guys that, like the things I'd be worried about or looking at with a pitcher right now is if the problem they're having today or this week or whatever it is, is a problem that is that was also a problem last year. And so as an example on that, Aaron Nola, I wrote about Aaron Nola earlier in the offseason and how his his sort of underperformance last year, we, there was a lot of talk last year about Nola underperforming his peripherals, but what really happened was he was terrible with guys on base. And it makes it look like he underperformed his peripherals, but he actually sort of performed to his peripherals with guys on base and performed to his peripherals with men off base, but the combination was was really ugly. On In his opening start, he wasn't terrible, he uh six innings pitch, seven strikeouts, no walks, but four hits, four earned runs, two home runs allowed. So you're gonna look at that, and a lot of you know, fantasy managers are gonna be frustrated with that. Like that it's not a quality start, it's not a good ERA. Um, the whip is good, strikeouts are good, but he faced 23 hitters. They were two for 19 the A's with no one on base, two for four with men on base. Now, it's four plate appearances with guys on base. Like, let's not get crazy here, but I am starting to look for like, if a guy underperformed last year, is he having the same problem this year? Or is it just that everybody's velocity is down? Everybody's still getting up to speed. It's cold out. We're like, there's a lot to be sort of factored in. So those are the things I'm looking for is what are, what are continuing patterns? What are things that you're like, oh, that was like, that was bad last year. And now it still looks like it's bad. Um, and the other thing are changes that may have nothing to do with the weather or spring, which is like a significant change in pitch mix. Somebody suddenly using a pitch they didn't before, things like that. That's spot on. And it, it actually made me think of a pitcher who performed very well in his opening day start on the surface and who I actually have some concerns about. So Chad and our Otney <clears throat> league, um, I think it's, I can't remember what league number it is, but anyway, I spent an egregious amount of money on you Darvish because, you know, I needed a starting pitcher. He was one of the very few potentially elite arms that was available. I think I got like a $30 you Darvish. Um, and I looked at his line and I said, wow, six innings, zero earned runs, zero hits. Here we go. This is great. It looks like you Darvish is coming back. He looked pretty strong in the spring. He was really flinging the ball pretty well. 
there would have been no reason for weather concerns like there were for Bieber and McKenzie, right? Because this game was in Arizona. But all of a sudden you start thinking about it's not a very good lineup, Arizona. And he only had 10 swinging strikes on, I want to say, 94, 92 pitches. There were six hard hit balls off of him. And he walked four guys with only three strikeouts. And so I look at that and I'm saying, it's you, Darvish. He's a veteran. We like him. Like he's he's maybe he's just getting his getting back into gear here, and it's going to take a little bit to get going. I'll take the quality start with the zero earned runs, and I'll just take that to the bank and be good with it. But this was a guy who last year his walk rate went up, his ERA was up north of four. Uh, managers did not get what they were expecting to get out of you, Darvish. And I think there might be a little bit of fool's gold here if we look at this start and think like, all right, good. I I, I took you, Darvish, because I figured he'd bounce back, and now he's bouncing back. Any thoughts on Darvish or any of the other guys like that, that these continuing patterns? Because I think Nola is a terrific example, and I am a little worried about Darvish. So Darvish is is a guy who I wasn't particularly high on, and so I didn't, I didn't really have any exposure to him. Uh, but I, I would have the same concerns you did. I, I think that the challenge for him, I'm having a hard time with Darvish separating what I saw from him Thursday versus what I was expecting to see, which was people are, I feel like a lot of people treat him and pay him like an ace. And I just don't think that's what he is. And so I saw what he did the other night and I was like, yeah, he didn't have great stuff. He wasn't sort of as impressive as he could have been or has been in the past. He walked four and had only three strikeouts. So like, but you know, he got through it and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I expect from you. Darvish is like, Good enough, not great, not that like, so to me, I wouldn't say I'm concerned about him, but I was already lower than everyone else anyways, which is why I don't like, I, I literally don't have him on any rosters and I don't, it's not even that I think he's bad, right? You hear, you hear about this a lot. Like if you listen to um, Nick Pollock, when he talks about his, his list, you know, his starting pitcher rankings or and really anyone talking about the rankings, but Nick talks about this sometimes we're like. He's got players that he just he literally never drafts <laughs> and he doesn't never draft them because he hates them. He thinks they're terrible. It's just he's like, I think they're good and other people think they're better. And that's sort of where I am with Darvish. And I think I don't know if I saw if I was high on Darvish and saw what I saw on Thursday, I think I'd be inching towards where I actually am already. If that makes sense. I do think sometimes we overcomplicate the game, too. Right. And when you look at a player like you, Darvish, and this is going to come across as, as victory lapping because it really was just one start. Who knows? Maybe he puts forward a Cy Young season. But this is kind of my thought process when it comes to players like Darvish. You know, you were saying it. You don't have a lot of exposure to Darvish. And honestly, I only have him in two spots because I was boxed into it. I've had him in a dynasty league for a while, and I felt like I needed to take a chance in a not new league. Um, but it's a he's a guy who's going to turn 36 this year who's coming off a season in which his walk rate was up, his swinging strike rate was down to an alarming amount, the lowest of his career, or at least the lowest since 2014. Just package that together and say, yeah, pass. I'll, I'll take my chances on someone else, maybe a younger guy like Shane McClanahan, whoever it might be. It's not really sage advice now because your draft seasons are done. It's not really, if you're sitting there with you, Darvish, we're not really making you feel too good here. I guess the, the silver lining is it's just one start. And for what it's worth, the numbers that matter for fantasy, the surface numbers, it was a good start. So Darvish, definitely a guy who I'm going to keep on my radar. Um, not that there's a lot to do with him. If you have him, you're not dropping him or anything like that. Um, but a guy who I was worried about, and now I'm still worried about him, despite the good outing. Chad, we have two young guys I wanted to chat about. And I know you're really big on one of them. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna say both. I'm going to give their lines from their limited appearance so far this year and just hear your thoughts. So the guy who I love, Mackenzie Gore, um, who everybody loves, right? How could you not like Mackenzie Gore? who's the top pitching prospect just a year ago, and it looks like he's he's bouncing back here. Last night for the El Paso Chihuahuas, and uh, we are recording on Sunday, April 10th, by the way, uh, five innings pitched, just two hits, zero earned runs, zero walks, seven strikeouts. That included striking out the side in his final inning. And then your boy, Ronzi Contreras, uh, he's made it to the bigs. And so it wasn't the debut we hoped for. Um, it was just an inning and two thirds, two hits, two earned runs, two walks, zero strikeouts. Uh, but he did have seven swinging strikes in just 44 pitches. And it seems like he's going to be a part of the rotation going forward. They're just building him up 
every five days in the bullpen before they make him a part of the rotation. So I assume you want to start with Contreras, but any thoughts on these two young arms, Chad? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't actually think there's a lot to say about Contreras because, I mean, you, you sort of said it, right? He, the surface numbers weren't very good, but it was two innings and the underlying stuff looked, looked very good. I mean, that seven whiffs was on just 21 swings. If you're getting a, you know, you're going to feel pretty good about that for a for a kid making his, I think it's like his third or fourth major league appearance. He made a couple last year. Um, he's, and, he, and they also, you know, they asked him to pitch in relief, which is not sort of what he naturally does. And so I'm curious to see how they're going to use him. He, he belongs in that rotation. Like he is more talented than other pitchers that they have, and he is ready. I would have thought, it seemed to me they sent him down because of service time. He was not down long enough for service time to be a factor yet, which suggests to me that they are going. I, I guess it comes down to this. I would expect that they try to keep him in the bullpen. They didn't have anyone else in the 40 man basically to call up when Dwayne Underwood Jr. got hurt. So I think they're going to keep him in the bullpen. They're going to give him some experience. They're going to let him grow in this. And then they're going to slot him back to the minors at some point to stretch back out to be ready to start. And, and that's, I don't know. It's not great. It's not really what I want to see from him. But in keeper leagues, like I'm still really high on this guy. I still think by the second half of the season, he's in their rotation and and really impressing. Just just so we can center our, our listeners, like let's say all things being equal. And let's say randomly tomorrow, the Pirates said, you know, we're going to going forward. Ronzi Contreras is going to be a part of the rotation. I'm going to give you six names. Can you tell me who you'd prefer over or if you'd prefer Contreras over them or not? Sure. All right. So let, again, we're, we're assuming Contreras just so we get an idea of, of how Chad feels about his talent level and what he could contribute. Casey Mize or Ronzi Contreras. That's an interesting one um, because I Mize looked like he had sort of turned a corner in spring and then his start was a little bit of a mixed bag, I would say. Yeah. Um, he gave up seven hits and four runs yesterday, five innings pitch, just two strikeouts, but didn't walk anyone. He barely used his secondaries, his, his splitter and curve in particular, but got a whiff on each of them. I, I'm not really sure what to make of him. I, I think Contreras has more upside than Mize. And so I think in a, I think I would go with him, especially since like if Mize were more established, I could see being like, yeah, Ronzi's got more upside, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take the production now. I don't. Th- I think it's neither one of them is really producing right now, anyways. Fair. So fair. yeah, Contreras for me. And uh, this is an aside, not to go down uh, this road, but man, Detroit's development of starting pitchers. Like I, I, I might aggravate our Tigers fans, listeners, list, listeners, but uh, like two years ago, even a year ago, we're looking Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal, and and Matt Manning. This is gonna be dangerous this is going to be crazy and all three of them uh, how do you feel about them right now it can't, it can't be too good um tanner hauk or Rowanzi contreras hauk i mean i i think it's they're they're i like them both like i would love to have them both in my rosters but i have like hauk is in that rotation he's going to stay in that rotation and i have more f- I, I think i have more faith in that giving him an opportunity to work through any issues he has which i think he will have some then I do have faith in Pittsburgh to like appropriately handle Ronzi and get him ready to go. Fair. Uh, so just a couple more here. I think this one is going to be a good comparison. Uh, similar points in their careers. Hunter Green or Contreras. So th- this is a really hard one for me because like I'm not a prospect analyst, right? So it's I don't sure. I don't I'm not great at scouting guys. So I, I think right now I would I would have to say Green, but I'm basing that on like what I've read and what I've heard from everyone else, and I just think I think Green is a special talent. Maybe I'll know more in like 12 hours after he's pitched today. I'm going to see what he does. He has his debut today. So ballpark doesn't factor in for you there. You're you're okay with Green in Cincinnati? It's not that ballpark doesn't factor in. It's just I think that I think Green is a different level of talent, right? Sure. I, I like I really like Ronzi. I think he could be a um top, you know, near the top of the rotation type guy. Green has legit ace potential. Okay. And then I'll give you the last two together with him. So Mitch Keller, his teammate, Contreras, or Corey Kluber, really making it weird. That is weird. Um, this really gets into like sort of what I need and what the situation is. In a, in a deep keeper where I feel like I have a strong rotation and I'm thinking about the future, Rowanzi's the guy of those three. I think he's got, I just, not necessarily more upside than Keller, but I just, 
I, I think Keller's upside is just further away at this point. I do. I like Keller. I've got Keller in a couple places. We just talked about picking up Keller in a league that we're co-managing. So I, I'm definitely interested in Keller. But at this point, I think Keller's upside is lower. And and I'm no more comfortable with him today than I am with Ronzi. In, in a league that either isn't as deep a keeper or where I really need the production today, then it's Kluber, right? He's the one who sort of locked into a rotation spot. He's the one that you sort of know what you're going to get. Um, I would remind people that Kluber has a tendency to start slow. And so the next couple of, you know, now we have a shortened spring training. I have everything else. So let's just, you know, give him a little time perhaps. But by, you know, May 1st, which is only three weeks away, by May 1st, Kluber's a guy you can sort of throw out there Ruanzi and Keller, like Keller might be a cut by then and Ruanzi might be back in the minors. It's a great point. I mean, don't forget people that Kluber just threw a no hitter last year. Obviously, his season got derailed and no hitters are anecdotal, but not when it comes to a player of Corey Kluber's stature. Um, He does go against Baltimore today, so probably a pretty timely comment if you're waking up and listening to old keeper cut and you're ready to cut Corey Kluber because he gave up five earned runs to the lowly Orioles. Consider chad's advice he is a slow starter so chad the other name um that we we didn't get to there and we're now distance from uh was mackenzie gore so as a reminder everybody he had a dominant outing last night at triple a he almost made the rotation for san diego outright but now the rotation looks pretty loaded so if you have mackenzie gore chad and redraft and keeper obviously you're probably holding on but what are you doing with him for the 2022 season right now yeah he's going to be up at some point just because that like that rotation does look loaded right they've had I, mean, I, I joked on my, my first pitch podcast this morning that the big thing that Joe Musgrove did last night that the rest of the rotation has not been able to do was give up a hit. <laughs> they went two straight days without their starter giving up a hit. And then, it's crazy. yeah, he gave up five hits. He was still awesome. And now they have, and it's like, they just went through three terrific starts. And now Blake Snell is taking the mound. And it's like, okay. Just they're just going to keep coming at teams like you're not going to get a day off against them, which is is going to be brutal for their opposition. Um, But someone's going to struggle or get hurt or need some time off and Gore's going to get a shot. And I'll say this. I after that line, I saw his line yesterday and watched some clips of him pitching yesterday. I went to all of my auto new leagues to see if he was a free agent in any of them. And he was not. And I'm pretty disappointed. And so now I, I guess I have to figure out where I might be able to get him. Cause yeah, I, I would love to have some exposure to Mackenzie Gore. No doubt. No doubt. And it's put me in a tough spot. I've got both Gore and Anil Cruz in a, in a, in this on the same team. And it's just like, man, both of these guys are like, they, they could start playing tomorrow. What do I do here? If I need this roster space, it's just a, a tough spot to be in, in the early going, but definitely hold on. Cause Gore is a rocket ship. It looks like he's, he's straightened things out. He is on his way back. So I want to get to a couple of more things about the first weekend of baseball, but we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. We will be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, welcome back, everyone. Keeper Cut Podcast, Pete Ball, Chad Young. We're breaking down the early goings here of the season. We've talked a lot of pitching. There's a hitter, Chad, that I want to talk about that is just like, there's honestly no reason to talk about him. But I was looking this up because I saw it on Twitter and I wanted to make sure I had the figures correct. That Wander Franco, so far this season, okay, just two games, seven batted ball events, five of them have been either 93 miles an hour or harder. As a matter of fact, I think the majority of those five, three, maybe four of them 
are like a hundred miles an hour or harder. So there's not, you can't really put anything into that, especially since it's, you know, it's Baltimore's pitching staff anyway. And it's a top prospect who's going in like the third round of some drafts. Not that he's a prospect anymore, but you know what I mean? Still like, I mean, am I right to be pretty excited based on this tiny sample size? Because I have huge expectations for Franco this year, as do most fantasy managers. I, I mean, I would be excited based on the the sample size we had before this season. So that just adds to it, right? I mean, this is just another example of how talented he is. And I think given the question, like if there was a question about him, it was more about how much power he would show. Would, you know, is he going to be, is he going to be high on base, high batting average and like 15 home runs, high on base on batting average in like 20, 25, like. So seeing him putting the ball into play with some authority, it, you know, it's not like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, he's going to hit 40 home runs. This guy's going to like, he's basically Giancarlo Stanton at shortstop. Like, you know, let's not overreact too much, but it is a good sign that he's going to, you know, be able to tap into some of that power that we weren't entirely sure he would get to and or or if he did get to it when. I'm I still... I think I was sort of the low man on him of the two of us through most of the off season, even though I'm excited about him because of some concerns about like, does he end up being basically Tim Anderson, who I think is sort of Tim Anderson with, with a more sustainable batting average and higher on base percentage and lots of other things. But does he end up sort of being that from a fantasy perspective? And I, I'm, I'm not a huge Tim Anderson fan from a fantasy perspective. This is a good sign. Just got to see how it sustains. And does he, does he elevate the ball effectively is the other question, right? Like he's hitting the ball hard, but I don't think he's, well, I'd have to go look. Cause I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm starting to say things I shouldn't say. <laughs> I don't know if he's putting the ball in the air very much though. While you're, while you're looking it up, I'm not sure how many of them have been, I've got his stack cast page open now. Um, but I mean, bottom line, just to see him hitting the ball with that much authority, because when you look at his 2021 <clears throat> uh, stack cast sliders, it did have him just in the 66 percentile for max exit velocity. Obviously, in the early going, it is absurd this year. So it is, it's promising to see, even though it is a tiny sample. Yeah, I mean, looking at his, his stack cast page, I mean, his hard hit rate is 57.1, which is great. His barrel rate is 28.7, 25% of plate appearances for barrels, which is obviously awesome, but it's also only two barrels. <laughs> the the two numbers on there that sort of stand out, I guess I would say, are his max exit velocity last year was 109.6. This year it's 109.7. So he actually hasn't, you know, the consistency with how hard he's hitting it is great, but it's only a few batted balls. And so it's hard to read too much into that. And he hasn't actually shown us anything new necessarily. His launch angle so far is negative 3.1. So that question of like, last year it was 9.7, which is, fine but not really the level of elevation you want to see for a guy who's going to hit you a bunch of home runs the the challenge with him is if he keeps hitting the ball hard and on a line or on the ground he's going to get more hits it'll keep that average up the more he hits it in the air the the more those turn into outs but also the more they turn into home runs so there's you know you'd like to see better than negative 3.1 though negative (laughs) 3.1 is like eric hosmer territory right i mean and who knows that could have just been like one ground ball so far that was at a negative 57 degree launch angle so who knows um but bottom line i mean what to take from this for the early going because i mean who's doing anything with wander franco is just that if you invested in him at least so far you should continue to feel good because it looks like he's continuing to progress the way he has really since he came into the league so i'm very very excited about wander franco and just seeing him start so hot just makes me feel better about it chad before we break down league two of the Keeper Cut Listener Leagues, and we are going to do that. I do think there's one more player we need to talk about. Uh, He was somebody who I know, I think you were kind of down on, and I know I was too, and it wasn't anything skill-related. It was entirely injury-related. But Carlos Rodon absolutely dominated in his San Francisco Giants debut. Um, the, The number that stood out to me the most, not even the 12 strikeouts, which is obviously tremendous, in just, I think, like five and a third or something like that. Maybe it was exactly five innings. I should have it in front of me. But it was the 24 swinging strikes in his debut. Um, Rodon was incredible. You feeling any different? Do you wish you had more exposure? Or is this just more, because this is my my thought process. I know he's a good pitcher. He's a very good pitcher. My concern is his durability. And one start does not do anything to alleviate those concerns. I, I'm, I'm with you, but maybe a little bit more optimistic optimistic isn't the right word i'm not more optimistic i still worry that at some point he's going to break down i i'm more of a like 
my concern with him in the offseason was less like, oh, you might only get 100 good innings out of him. My concern was more, did he, like, will you even get those 100 good innings or will his velocity be down and he not really be able to pitch the way he did last year? And like towards the end of the season last year, it wasn't just that he was hurt. He was, just, he was looked like he was struggling and I was a little worried he was going to fall back into old patterns and not be very effective. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I have 13 teams this year. There are, I only have them on two of those rosters. They're both auto new leagues where I had him last year at such low prices that like, I just wasn't worried. Right. And you know, you got him for like four or five bucks in an auto new league. Like who cares if he might get hurt? You're not getting anything better cheap anyways. And I didn't add him anywhere. And now I, I sort of regret that. Cause I think if he's going to pitch like this, like if he pitches like this for April and May, and then misses June and then pitches like this for July and misses August and September. I'm still going to regret not having had him because he's still going to give you, you know, half a season's worth of just elite performance. And that's really valuable. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I think as an example, I had a, an auto new auction like a week ago, two weeks ago. I can't remember when it was relatively recently uh, after we had all the information we've got so far in DeGrom. No new information DeGrom's come out since then. I bought DeGrom for 30 bucks. Why did I buy DeGrom for 30 bucks? Two reasons. One is if he throws like 100 innings this year, I'm going to be real happy with a $30 DeGrom's 100 innings. And then he'll be $32 next year, which will be awesome. Um, I, I sort of feel that way with, with Rodon that his price got depressed enough that I wish I'd bought in more because even a half season of him performing like this is going to be money in the bank. Yeah, I think that's right. I think based on where he was going in drafts, most people who roster him in, in 12 team leagues are probably looking at him as their third or fourth starter. But if he's healthy, he performs like an ace or at worst a number two. So you should be feeling pretty good so long as he's on the field. And, and you're right. It is promising to see the velocity and, and everything else. Um, I guess there was one more topic, Chad, that I'm just going to throw out there. I just don't know if there's enough. There's there's definitely not enough of a sample to really identify the murky closer situations and who's going to be getting saves. Um, the, the Reds have an interesting situation over there where I think it was Tony Santillan. And I apologize if I'm saying that name incorrectly. Got the save like out of nowhere. And we thought maybe it was going to be Art Warren. We've now all of a sudden got David Robertson getting the very first save of the season. I, I'm just going to flip it over to you. Are there any closer situations that were murky that you all of a sudden feel really confident about? I, I like Anthony Bender in Miami. I guess that would be my answer, but it's not murky because the manager already said that he's the closer. So that's not a murky situation. Are there any that you're like, mm, I think it's leaning this way and I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. I, I don't know that we've had enough time for that to really change, except in cases where a manager said something, right? It's so like, Taylor Rogers gets traded to the Padres. Bob Melvin says he's our closer. Great. He's the closer. Um, but even like, like Bender, they said he was the closer and then he struggled. And so now I'm just sort of, I don't know, maybe he's the closer. Maybe he loses it. Um, a couple others that stand out. It sounded like, or a lot of people thought that Alex Colome would be the closer in Colorado. Ugh. They got a save. Daniel Bard took it. So I think, you know, I don't know how much you want to play with that closer situation, but Bard seems to be the guy there. Um, yeah, I mean, San Francisco, they said that McGee was going to get the first shot. It sounded like he was going to be the closer, but then he struggled and then Duvall struggled. And I, I'm not really sure what to make of that one. Um, the situation in Atlanta or not Atlanta, the situation in Cincinnati, I get confused because they played each other this week, uh, is a little bit... Um, a little bit even it's a little it's even a little bit more confusing than it seems because Santian was warming up to come into a six to one game and then the Reds added to and so he was getting ready to come into a game that was like not only not a save situation it was basically mop up duty to just like finish it off and then they added to or then the then they gave up sorry they didn't add to the Reds gave up two runs to Atlanta made it a six to three game all of a sudden it was a save situation but he was already the guy sort of up and getting ready. And I think that was more a case of the managers being like, all right, you're up and ready. Go out there and take care of it. Than it was, oh, it's a save situation and you are my first go at closer. It's like, I don't know what to make of Santian. I don't know what to make of that bullpen. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Like it's been, like I said, most teams have played two or three games. I'm not sure within two or three games, there's any team 
that I would say like, yes, we know who the closer is now that we didn't already. I think that's right. I, and the one thing I will say though about Robertson and Santian is it's both two teams that have kind of struggled with nailing down that role. And so if they just fell into it, where like, like in that situation with Santian, sometimes that's just how the closer emerges. I mean, it was a perfect inning with two strikeouts. And so they might say, hey, it worked. Let's see if he can do it again. If he does reel off, you know, two or three saves here, he might end up having the job, having some run with it. And you could end up getting, you know, 20 saves out of a guy like that. So I do think if you're desperate for saves, these early opportunities, if you have the roster space to do it, they're worth throwing on your bench or at least getting in there to see if they get you another save. If you don't have the room then it, or you don't need saves that bad, then I, I would hold out and see how it unfolds. But I, I wouldn't underestimate the desire for these teams to just be like, hey, this guy works. Let's ride him until it doesn't work anymore. So that finally, I think, is a is a pretty good summary of three days of baseball so far. Um, we want to break down listener league number two of the Keeper Cut listener leagues. This one is a daily head-to-head league with weekly fab. Thank you so much to all the guys that participated. We have quite a, a, a lineup of managers here. Um, Chad, I wanted to just turn it over to you to talk about your team first. I think you came out looking pretty strong here. Um, and I think it could help kickstart some conversation about how the draft itself went down. Yeah, I, I was really happy with how this draft started because my first two picks, I picked 11th and I don't actually mind picking late this year. It's not a bad place to be because I think there's some really nice end of the first early second round picks. I ended up getting Bo Bichette and Kyle Tucker yeah, and picking 11th, like, I have Bichette in my top five pretty comfortably, and I have Tucker in my top 10, I think. And so getting them at 11 and 14, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go with this to start. Um, in, in sort of, you know, typical Chad fashion, uh, I went hitter, 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 hitter to get started. And so I started off with Bichette, Tucker, Marcus Simeon, and Cedric Mullins. Mullins is sort of an interesting one for me because he's he's really off to a rough start. Um, it's only been a couple games. Like I'm not overreacting to it, but I, I did. He fell to me at a point where I basically decided it, he doesn't need to repeat what he did last year. Like nobody was paying first round prices for him, even though he performed like a first rounder last year on a fourth round price in this league, he becomes a keeper for me. If he performs like he did last year, if he doesn't perform like he did last year, I don't think he loses that leadoff spot, which means he should be a good source of a lot of runs and stolen bases, even on a bad team. So I felt like, all right, fine. I'll just take that. And then I went Liam Hendricks in the fifth, which is really weird for me and very frustrating right now because (sighs) he blew a save opportunity. And then because he threw so many innings blowing that save opportunity or so many pitches blowing that save opportunity, the next save opportunity went to Aaron Bummer, which does not create any like, I don't think Aaron Bummer has taken this job. Liam Hendricks is the closer there. I don't think Hendricks is bad. It's just an annoying way to start the season. And you, then, you know, then you'll look at standings and you're like, oh, I'm in like last place because my my pitching blew my like <laughs> the pitcher I took first blew up on me. Um, so that was annoying. Ended up with a rotation though of Logan Webb, Frankie Montas, and then went much later and got Sean Manaya and Zach Gallen. I, I am I'm real happy. Real happy with that rotation. Webb looked good in his start. Montas, despite giving up, I think he gave up five runs to to Philly. But like, I sort of think if you go into Philadelphia and give up five runs, that's a win. Like, I'll take that on that start. He had six strikeouts, one walk. The splitter was working well. So like, I'm still really excited about him. Manaya obviously looked great in his start. And Zach Gallen, like there was all this worry. He went so late in drafts because people were like, oh, he's behind. And like, you know, we talked about this on the show that like everything I read was him saying like, I'm fine. I just like took a couple days. Like he, I think we talked about this last time, like his shoulder was sore. He got it checked out and then he didn't even stop throwing. Right. He didn't even like, he just, he just took a step back and went back to like long toss or whatever it was. He was doing a step earlier. He didn't, he didn't, he was never shut down and he never, they never said he was going to be on the aisle. Like it was just, I don't know. I felt like everyone overreacted. We haven't actually seen him pitch yet. So like maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is gonna be a disaster. But I'm real, real happy with him. Um, and then, you know, 
it's just this is a very it was a very typical Chad draft because like I said I, after I went four straight hitters I then went three straight pitchers with Hendricks Webb and Montas then I went back and got five more hitters six more hitters in a row and, and so my rotation like I'm very happy with with Hendricks as sorry I'm very happy to have Webb and Montas and Manaya and Gallon I think that's a really solid top four that I did not pay top four prices for but then I'm relying on like Aaron Ashby was the next pitcher I took Anthony DiSclefini a couple rounds later, a couple rounds later, Corey Kluber. And then I finished up sort of annoying. I got Mitch Keller, uh, who I, who I still, like I said, I'm sort of interested in Nick Lodolo, who will learn a lot more about this week when he finally starts was my second to last round pick. And then in between them, I took Dylan Floro. And so Floro was supposed to be my third closer. Cause I also took David Bednar earlier and like Floro's hurt and seems to have lost that job. And he's not really that good. So I'm not sure he's going to get it back. Bednar, like, I think Bednar eventually emerges as the primary closer in Pittsburgh. But in the meantime, he's sharing a role on a team that's going to win like seven games. So even if he gets the job, there just aren't that many saves to go around. So I'm going to have some work to do on that on that bullpen. Or I'm just going to punt saves, which is fine. I have no problem with punting saves. The thing I, I think I messed up in this draft is if you're going to go and go after a guy like Hendricks in the fifth round, you can't do that and then not build a strong bullpen. Right. And I think I may have made that mistake. I, I may have walked out of this draft with an elite closer and nobody else in my pen. And that's like, it's just a waste. It's just a bad way to have built a team. And it's it's a little frustrating to me that I fell into that trap. Well, I mean... <clears throat> You brought up the punting saves, and obviously you don't want to do that when you have Liam Hendricks and you invested so much draft capital in him. Obviously, more closers will emerge as the year goes on. I do think looking at your squad, first of all, it's loaded. The fact that you got Bo Bichette and and Kyle Tucker picking 11th, you know, this is the first thing you brought up, is ridiculous. Um, I do think there's a chance you struggle with strikeouts on a week-to-week basis with three of your first four guys being, you know, Webb, Gallon, and Manaya. With that said, that kind of brings me to why I wanted to bring up punting saves and, and bringing up the individual category of strikeouts. I think the fantasy baseball industry, at least on Twitter is so conditioned to think about rotisserie leagues where like punting a category is, makes it very, very difficult. I can't make this clear enough as somebody who has played in head to head leagues for almost 20 years. Now it, you can punt a category in a head to head, each category league and be perfectly fine, which is why if you look at my draft, this is why my first, three of my first four picks, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Aaron Judge, Pete Alonso, what do they all have in common? They maybe will combine for three steals, and I do not care. We're counting each category. If I can load up on runs, home runs, have a decent batting average between those three, so on and so forth, what's the category I'm missing? RBI then I don't care that I'm going to lose stolen bases each week because I'm going to have such an advantage in the other four. Whereas in a rotisserie league, it hurts me because if I get that, just that one or two or three points for stolen bases, now I'm really behind does not matter for this format. Unfortunately for me, Chad, and I still, I'm still feeling pretty good about this draft. Two of my first four pitchers were Shane Boz and Chris sale. And if that feels like every single draft I've done this year is like two of my first four pitchers are Chris sale and Shane Boz. So I'm going to have to overcome that. I do still like the rest of my staff. Um, some of my guys are off to pretty hot starts. I think considering this is a categories league that counts saves, I, I got Emmanuel class up pretty late. So I'm, I'm feeling okay, but I am a little bit worried about that staff with those injuries. If I can get those guys back and Lance McCullers, who's about to begin a throwing program. I don't know how much you buy into that considering how serious his arm injuries have been. But if you do buy into that and you think he can come back, I'm pretty excited about that. I like Carrasco and Wainwright. I thought I got pretty late. So I'm not really focusing on keepers at this point. I'm looking at 2022 and I feel pretty good about my team, despite those two of four first starting pitchers on the shelf. Yeah. I think the, uh, I think your pitching should be okay. You just are going to need to be patient, right? Because it's not going to be, it's not going to be okay today. It just will be okay. Eventually. Um, the, the the challenge so the trade-off with a the opposite trade-off I guess with a head-to-head league is it's harder to make up ground if you fall like if you fall out of the playoff picture too early you know 
there's not a lot you can do. If you stay in the playoff picture, then what you did in the first half of the season doesn't matter because as long as you make the playoffs, you got a shot. Uh, and so it's it's a weird situation where like I was more comfortable drafting a guy like Tatis in head to head than I am in Roto because missing half a season doesn't matter as much as long as my team makes the playoffs, but only if I can draft him late enough to be confident I'm going to make the playoffs. Because if you don't make the playoffs, you get nothing from him. And right. so it, it's a, yeah, it's a little bit, it's a weird situation for you with your pitching where I think that if you make the playoffs, your pitching is going to be very good, but you may have to make some moves to get your pitching good enough to make the playoffs. Yeah. And, and fortunately it was during the draft where I realized that, or not realized, but where Chris sale and Shane Boz's injuries, surgery, whatever it was for, for Boz, it was surgery for Chris sale. It was just an injury were announced. So because it was a keeper league, I was able to get Adam Wainwright, who was like, what, a top five, top seven pitcher on the player Raider last year, extremely late because people looked at him and said, ah, keeper league, you know, last year may have been a fluke and he's a million years old. So I'm hoping that the the additions of Wainwright and Carrasco help hold me over. But you're right. I mean, if, if I can just get to the playoffs and I have a Boz and Sale healthy, it should be a good rotation, but it may be a little bit of a struggle to get there. So that's enough about my team, enough about your team. Looking at the draft overall, Chad, what were some impressions? And let's start with like picks that we really, really liked because the placement of players in this draft, because it was a keeper league where cost is associated with the round you took a player going forward. And I can let you elaborate a little bit on those specific rules when we get talking about it. But some guys just like like players fell all around the board. Um, guys like Torkelson, at, because this was before we even knew Torkelson was going to start the season in the majors. Adley Rushman went really high. Tork, like I said, went really high. And, the, and they were not the only prospects that got pushed up. But it's not just prospects. When the prospects get pushed up, that means that other guys who in redraft leagues might go higher get pushed down. And so you look at this draft board and it really has some interesting results. Trying to take it all in, which is difficult to do. What are some picks that stood out to you as being like, wow, that was a steal right there, be it a prospect taken high or a veteran taken late, doesn't matter. What were you thinking? Yeah, I think it's it's important to remember also, this is the league where we had a three-round minor league draft too, which then, you know, right, the last three rounds of this, we, we did it as the last three rounds of the draft, but it creates a weird situation where like prospects are pushed up, but also there's, there's reason to sort of wait. You know you're going to get some prospects later. But I thought there were some prospects who went in that part of the draft that were getting drafted in in the standard part of a lot of other drafts. Um, Dylan Cards took Stephen Kwan with his last pick in the prospect draft. And that just looks like a steal already. Um, I, I was similarly, it was, uh, I can't remember who it was who took him, but somebody took Bryson Stott with their last pick in that prospect draft. It's like, couple situations where I don't even know if those guys have activated those players yet. They don't need to. There's no requirement. They could stash them for the year if they want. But some real value available in that part of the draft that I, I thought was really great. Looking at guys who I think were, were good values in the draft, um, going to Adam Howe's team, he took Jeremy Pena in the 20th round. I think by then we had a pretty good sense that Pena was going to be the starter and I think people are just, I think people just waited too long because that, I mean, you look at, if you look at Adam's team, he didn't take a shortstop before that. So he went 20 rounds into this draft without a shortstop and then got Jeremy Pena, who I think is going to be a really good shortstop for him. He added Nicky Lopez a couple rounds later. So he's got some, some depth there, even if it's just sort of one category depth, but that I thought was a really good pick. Um, there was another name I saw that I was, I already mentioned Dylan Card's team because he he took Quan so late. He also just his first like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, maybe even twelve, thirteen. Like <laughs> most of this draft, it doesn't look to me like he focused on keepers, and in in a good way, and it shows because if you look at his draft. First two rounds, we can't keep anyways because of the the way the prices work. Or first round, we can't keep anyways. You have to pay a price one round higher than you drafted a guy. So there, that doesn't exist for a first rounder. But he got Devers at six, which given the depth of third base, fine. I thought it was a little weird at the time because Jose Ramirez was still on the board. And I definitely prefer Ramirez, but not going to quibble on that, whatever. Then he took Scherzer and Wheeler. 
Then he took Xander Bogarts, Brandon Lau, Tyler O'Neill, Brian Reynolds, Charlie Morton, Jesse Winker, Josh Bell, Chris Bassett, who looked awesome yesterday, Hunter Renfro, Clayton Kershaw, Jorge Soler, Luis Urias, who unfortunately is hurt, but I think it was a good pick. And, and basically, like, there is nobody in that list. And I could keep going. Jose Urquidy, Luke Voigt. Finally, in the 18th round, he took Drew Rasmussen. That's the first name he took where I'm like, oh, he pushed that guy up because of his keeper value. And even that pick I really like there. Every one of those guys, some of those guys might be keepers, but there's not a guy in that group where you're like, oh, he pushed that up. And as a result, I think this is a really strong team through and through. Yeah, it underscores that like it's okay to win year one, right? And even then, you know, I, I think just because he got basically market value for some of these guys, that doesn't necessarily mean, right, that they won't still be good keepers. I think the obvious one would be Tyler O'Neill, who if he just comes close to what he did last year is easily worth more than a sixth round pick. So uh, th th there's still room for him to grow in his keeper options, but you're right. I mean, just, just taking what the board gives you and winning year one is okay. Uh, I'm not saying that Dylan's going to run away with this thing. Cause I absolutely plan on pushing back and making a run myself. Um, but it's, it's okay to win year one. You don't need to push up prospects that much. Whereas you look at other teams and they definitely were, um, we look at look at Dave's team, which I still think is a really strong team and, and could definitely compete this year. Juan Soto, Jordan Alvarez, Wander Franco makes total sense. Then we get Bobby Witt Jr., Adley Rushman, round five, Jazz Chisholm Jr., round six. So that is in like stark contrast, right, to what Dylan's team was doing there. Jer uh, Jared Kelnick in round 10, another one uh, that was pushed up there for Dave. So they're right in their own way. And this is kind of the beauty of keeper leagues. And really why we started this podcast was to talk about out and you and to talk about the uniqueness of keeper leagues, where it's just different really from everything else um, that you might do in fantasy. Some of the picks that, that kind of stood out to me. Um, I don't, I don't want to, toot my own horn here but i loved getting jeff mcneil where i got him he it, now that's a little bit of recency bias because he's off to such a hot start um but i took him because i thought he was still capable of, of being a solid hitter in a great lineup so far so good on that one i like the dual eligibility um so i did like getting jeff mcneil there um my brother john reached for cj abrams in the 23rd round so well before our prospect draft and at the time i was so confused at that pick i texted him i said you know we have a prospect draft right like what's going on here and he was like i think cj abrams was going to make the team i think they're, they're trying him out in the outfield now obviously he didn't end up in the outfield he's kind of platooning there at shortstop but i think if we knew that cj abrams a, a consensus top five to ten prospect in all of baseball was going to start the year in the major leagues that he would be pushed up a lot in this draft, especially when you consider where some of those earlier names, Kelnick, Witt Jr., et cetera, went. Um, I think I think Abram, John saved himself some rounds of value there um, by jumping on Abrams and, and, and locking him up. So there's no shortage of, of picks that I thought were particularly strong. I guess the last one, Chad, because I think it's it's one that you and I were trying to do in, in the other league, and I think we did successfully, was getting Tyler Glasnow in the 18th round. We have multiple IL spots. If you're lucky enough to be able to stash Tyler Glass now for, for that long, now you've got an ace who's a keeper. Because assuming he comes back fine, which we have no reason to think he won't, we saw how good he was last year, and now you've got an ace at awesome value. So there's no shortage of picks that I liked. Chad, any response to any of those or, or any picks if we want to start transitioning that kind of rose your eyebrows a little bit? So I'm, I'm not a big fan of that CJ Abrams pick because I'm playing your brother this week. And so <laughs> I would have much preferred if Abrams had been down just like another week or two. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's that said, it's offense has not been the issue for me this week against your brother, which as I said, not, not a huge surprise. We knew my offense would be good and it has been so far. Um, picks that sort of surprised me. I think some of the prospects just went a little too early, especially given the keeper cost. Like it's a, it's a very yeah. different when you have to give up a pick than if, it's very different when you have to give up a pick to keep a guy rather than like, you know, true dynasty where you just keep whoever you want. Um, and so I do think like, you know, I actually have no issue with Wander Franco in the third or even, you know, Bobby Witt Jr. in the fourth is early, but I, I think he, he's super talented. Yeah. That's Adley right Rutschman, like we, yeah, Adley Rutschman in the fifth when we knew he wasn't going to make the opening day roster felt like a little bit of a reach there. Um, poking around at some of the other, like maybe this is maybe this is another thing of recency bias, and uh, maybe this is why I'm staying ahead of your brother so far. Is he took Cody Bellinger and 
Christian Yellick together at the seven, eight turn. Ugh. And like, I get the upside there, but he was in a situation where like he had Mike Trout and Mookie Betts as his first two picks. And then he added those as his next two outfielders. And it just, to me, that's like, now you've invested four of your top eight picks in outfielders and there's a lot of risk in them, at least in the bottom two of them. Um, you know, Brian Reynolds went earlier than those guys, but shortly after that, Kyle Schwarber and Mitch Hanniger went back to back. Julio Rodriguez went a little bit later. That pick looked really early to me at the time, but looks looks pretty good right now. Yeah. Uh, Jess Pinker, Chris Bryant. Like, I just feel like there were other options there. Um, and by the way, I have I speculated on both of those guys in different leagues. I just never speculated on both of them in a league. And so my my that was the thing that sort of stood out to me there was like, wow, that was you know, that there was huge upside there, but there's a lot of risk tied up in it. Um, Josh Hader going in the third round surprised me. I, I, I know that people do that occasionally with closers. Um, and the reality is like, I took Hendricks in the fifth because, you know, it felt like that was falling when Hendricks was available in the fifth. So it's hard to say like, wow, Hendricks in the fifth, it felt like he fell so far and Hader in the third was a sort of a questionable pick, but um, that team had also started with Garrett Cole and Jacob deGrom. So also they'd gone Cole deGrom hater. They're three rounds in. They don't have a bat. They have a, you know, we didn't know at the time. This was sort of in that in-between phase where it was like deGrom looks like he might be okay. And then all of a sudden he was hurt again. And so, you know, no fault taking deGrom there, but it was the combination of that trio that felt it. I, I guess I would have, I wouldn't have wanted to push up hater there given how the rest of that draft had started. Yeah, I think I have no this is later in the third in, in isolation, though. I think this is again like the the roto consensus like thing that just leaks into head to head leagues because the industry is so roto driven. Now Matt's a Matt's a great manager and a, and, a, and a great analyst as well, so I'm sure he's got a plan and he's going to end up fine. But again, you don't usually see closers go that high in head to head categories leagues. Um, you know, Hader still brings a lot more to the table than just saves. And, and that's obviously why he gets pushed up so much. But when you look after those Hader and Hendricks picks, it's a while until you get to the next closer taken. Um, and so I think there's a reason those two go early, right? They're easily far and away the two best relievers, or at least going into draft season, they were. We'll see how the season plays out. Um, but it, it's important in your head-to-head leagues to not get so caught up in the the wave of just constant roto analysis that we see on twitter because this is a slightly different beast and of course because i'm coming across here as the the know-it-all about head-to-head leagues i'm definitely going to come in last in this league but that is okay so chad any other closing thoughts on any of the picks any of the teams here as we round out our analysis of the league two draft and it is important to keep in mind everybody this is not the end of us talking about these leagues obviously the reason why we wanted to make them is to play with our listeners and to have a lot to talk about that our listeners can relate to as the season goes on so any closing thoughts on the draft of this league yeah one of the things i was i was glad to see happen in this league is a couple of teams pushed down outfielders and i i I always feel like there's so many outfielders available late and I should have waited, but then there's so many outfielders I like early, and so I end up drafting them. Um, Metman season one, I can't remember who the manager of that team is. Didn't take an Christian. outfielder till the Christian didn't take an outfielder to the eighth round, and his the outfielders he ended up taking were Mitch Hanniger, technically Dalton Varsho, but I'm sure he's using him a catcher. But Hanniger, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Marcelo Zuna, Dylan Carlson, Charlie Blackman, who I think you have to platoon. He's going to need some outfield depth because I don't think he drafted enough outfielders. But the top of that group with Guriel, Ozuna, Carlson, and Hanniger, like that's a solid outfield. And he went seven rounds without having to think about outfield. Uh, Matt Heckman, who we just talked about, went even later. He waited until the 13th round to take an outfielder. I'm just making sure I didn't like miss someone. But no, he waited until the 13th round to take an outfielder. He took Michael Conforto there, who I at the time thought was a great value. And now I, I don't I don't know what to make of Conforto. Like such a yeah. weird situation that he isn't signed. Then he ended up with, but he ended up in the outfield of basically Conforto, Hap, Kike Hernandez, and then late got Brandon Marsh, Max Kepler, Garrett Cooper, and Randall Grichuk. Grichuk was still in Toronto at the time. I think maybe this was right at the time of the trade. I can't remember. No, he definitely that outfield. Yeah, that outfield is like 
I like the upside of guys like Marsh. I like the re- the return, the b- possibility of a bounce back for Kepler. I like Cooper and Blackman as sort of, or he doesn't have Black- Blackman. I like Cooper as a, a platoon guy. I, you know, Gritchuk is probably a guy you can sort of platoon home road. But that outfield and half of it, to be fair, is that in the 13th round, he took Conforto, whereas Metman in the 13th round took Ozuna and Ozuna is actually on the field and Conforto is not. But that outfield feels like it waited too long and, and it ends up sort of feeling like a weak outfield. Now that team should be very, very strong elsewhere. Unfortunate that, 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 you know, Matt got DeGrom in the second and that's not looking great, but like he's got Will Smith at catcher. He's got Lindor and Correa at shorts up in middle infield. Um, he still has Garrett Cole, Freddie Peralta, Jose Barrios, despite the bad start. He's got Cronenworth at second base, Hoskins at first. Uh, in addition to Hader, he didn't make the mistake I made and take an early closer and then fail to back it up. And so he also has Jordan Romano. He also has Gregory Soto. It's like, there's a lot to like on that team, but outfield is probably going to be a weakness, um, especially if Conforto doesn't come back and provide value for him. So I thought it was sort of interesting. Like I was glad to see teams push outfielders down because I wanted to see what that looked like. And, and sort of what it, what I walked away looking at this draft was thinking like, there's nothing wrong with pushing outfielders down, but you've got to get back in there sometime in like the eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th round, not wait until the 13th, 14th, 15th. Cause it just, it does thin out. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. I, I love the point about Christians too, because if Mitch Hanniger even comes close to repeating 2021, then he basically got an outfielder one by waiting, you know, like you said, seven rounds before he finally took one. So that was awesome. And thank you so much again to everybody who participated. I'm really looking forward to competing with you guys. It's my first time playing out a league on fan tracks, which is just an awesome, awesome platform gave us so much customization that we could deal with here. Um, as always, we will be back next Monday. Please give Chad a follow at, at Chad Young and check out uh, all the new work that he's doing here on the podcast channel. It is not just keep or cut. You can follow me at, at Pete B Baseball and obviously follow the show at, at Keep or Cut and give us all sorts of ratings and reviews as the content comes out every Monday. Thank you, folks, and we'll see you next week. Bye.